And if you're feeling really great and having a really great day, you don't have to feel guilty about that either. People with burnout don't always have depression, but burnout may increase the risk of getting clinical depression. Hey y'all, welcome to the Barbershop Quintet Podcast, the podcast where my guests and I debate our top five lists of current and past topics that are relevant for millennials like you. And who am I? My name is Tony Lee and I will be the host for today's show. After we debate our top five lists and back up our standings, my guests will enter the buzz cut lightning round where they'll each have to quickly formulate a convincing buy and an argument on a top five list or topic of my choosing. Based on those arguments, I, the decider, will pick which answer resonates with me the most. However, the only catch is that each guest has a total of 50 seconds for their argument. Go over the time or if they can't finish their argument, they'll get penalized points and I may give the oppositional guest the advantage. First off, um, this is just a warning out there. Um, we will be talking about some very sensitive topics today. Please don't use this episode as your main resource if you need help. This is purely an informational breakdown on this topic uh, and a few recommendations and tools you can use to help. But I'd strongly encourage you to get professional help. When I upload this on the IG feed, the links and resources will be posted on the IG feed for this episode, as well as a story. So listeners discretion is advised. This topic today is something that I've dealt with for a handful of years now personally and overcame it mostly, but it's still a lifetime journey for me and it's still work in progress. With that being said, I've been an advocate of it, spreading awareness wherever I can breaking down any stigmas when people come and ask me about it or helping people with either support or sharing resources. Um, This is a topic near and dear to me, mental health. And uh, today we will go in depth in this topic and share tools, perspectives, and this list, the list of top five things you can do for self-care through this pandemic and in general. But before we dive into this list, let me introduce to you my guest for today. Ooh, my guest for today. She is currently a behavioral technologist at the Forensic Psychiatry Program at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton, Ontario. She is also a behavior analyst, community volunteer, and a mental health advocate, whilst carrying an uh, honors of bachelor's of science specialized in psychology from McMaster. And most surprisingly to me, I mean, all of them are impressive and surprising, right? But a master's of psychology from the University of Liverpool. But impressive resume, nonetheless. But I think the one that stands out to me the most is mental health advocate. But to top that off, she is a friend of mine uh, when I was an undergrad at Mac. Michelle Guzman Ratko, can you please introduce yourself? And that's how you pronounce your name, correct, Michelle? Yes, you are absolutely right. My name is Michelle Guzman Ratko. What what an intro. It feels so weird hearing all of these credentials being thrown at me i try you didn't give me much to work with but your linkedin profile so i was just like all right i guess i'm listing everything here there it is yeah um my name is michelle guzman radko you basically said what i do i am a behavioral technologist and a behavior analyst at st joseph's healthcare in hamilton And I am also a mental health advocate. I have lived with and struggled with and overcome in so many ways, different mental health struggles myself. I was diagnosed with panic disorder in undergrad and a bit of mild depression as well. And it's something that I've worked really hard on to overcome and kind of live with rather than have it take over me. Mm -hmm. So I'm really thankful for you to have me on this podcast to talk about it. 
Well, thank you again um, for first off opening up and being vulnerable that, about that. Like I, I knew you since university, but I did not even know, like I had like an inkling through like friends of friends that you were going through some things, but it wasn't something that I was necessarily going through until midway or the latter part of my university myself. So I didn't really understand, understand even like, I, I know you can probably agree or disagree with this, but I think whatever disorder or mental health illness in quotations that you might be going through, not everyone's going to be the same in terms of what they go through personally. So what you might go through a panic disorder, and I might be going through a panic disorder as well, but that doesn't mean we're going through the same thing. But all I can do is really sympathize and empathize the fact that we went through the same thing together. But yeah, I mean, the way you said you overcame that was very, that shows your character a lot. Like you overcame that. And not only that, you went full advocate mode in your studies, in your career path too. And you, you wanted you, and it's crazy, right? You, you kind of like, enveloped this and made this your life now which which uh is very impressive i would say let, let alone the resume and everything itself that's very impressive to to like not only overcome with it to accept it and to live with it and to also you know keep spreading awareness and help people that who are going through the same thing or who went through the same things as you did so thank you for being on the show today i'm very honored so before we get going here usually um, we have a random number generator for our guests where we decide who gets to go first to share the list. But because you're here and you're the only guest here and I'm the host, you get to go first. So please break down your top five lists of things that people can do for self-care for their mental health during the pandemic or after even. Absolutely. Okay. So I have my top five list just in no particular order. These are just some things that I like to practice for self-care throughout the pandemic, and I thought they might be helpful for others. So number one, do Mm self-check-ins. I say it in no particular order, but I think I put this one first because it is the most important one. (laughs) Don't just do general self-check-ins like, yeah, I feel like this today. Like really go over, like, how are you feeling physically, emotionally, Mm -hmm. and mentally? Listen to your body and be kind to yourself. And I think the be kind to yourself part is really important Yes, because it's it's okay to feel really shitty and it's okay to have really bad days. We're going through something that like has never really happened before. Yeah, Like it's a global worldwide pandemic that's happening and things are shut down. We can't see people we used to see on a regular basis. And with that comes lots of challenges um, Mm. in all of those areas, physically, emotionally, and mentally. So if you're having negative thoughts and negative feelings, be kind to yourself and accept that that it's okay to have those feelings. And if you're feeling really great and having a really great day, you don't have to feel guilty about that either. Embrace Mm. that. And number two, I have focus on things that you can control. So in this time, we have had a lot of things that have been taken out of our control. We're not able to do things that we are used to doing and activities. So trying to focus in on things like Mm -hmm. I can put my laundry away, so I'm going to take some time and do that. Or Mm -hmm. I can take care of myself and shut myself away in the bathroom and have a bubble bath for 15 minutes or half an hour. Mm -hmm. Focus on those things rather than the things that you can't do. Number three, try to connect with others socially in creative and fun ways, even if just virtually. Because we can't see people in person as much as we want to, 
I know at the beginning of the pandemic, especially things, there are all these apps. I don't even remember what they are anymore because I think I deleted them all. Yeah, that one where you all join and then there's games within it and stuff like that. Oh, um, um what was that called? A jack in the box, a jack, jack box, box, jack, box, jack. There's I don't know. Jack box. And there's another one, but it was, anyways, people just Among us? using. No. It was like a video messaging app where you could like oh, okay. video message your friends and but those are really fun you got to play different little i think they had like a heads up on there kind of thing i swear it was called jackbox or box jack in the box or something and then you had I like played, a, a pictionary type of game on there too i played jackbox yeah that was like drawful and all yeah, those, yeah. those are really fun yeah but we have social media at our fingertips so mm. a lot of us use it for things like scrolling and endless looking at random things like i know i look at like pictures of dogs and (laughs) cute puppies but trying to connect with others in different ways is a really important thing so if you can't see your family like have scheduled times where you make sure you get together and see each other on the screen share what's new and exciting in your life Mm -hmm. i mean i know with my friends there's not a whole lot that's new and exciting but we have to make the most of what we do have Number four, do some sort of physical activity, even for 15 minutes a day. Mm. And I feel a little bit like a hypocrite for saying this because (laughs) when I'm on my feet at work all day, the last thing I want to do is move, but I now have a dog that forces me to move. So that's what I use. But I know that a lot of us are either working from home or we're housebound. And so we don't get to up and moving as much as we should, Mm -hmm. but it's really important for our mental health. Mm -hmm. And number five, practice gratitude. So I've mentioned that we've had so many things taken away, but it is important to focus on what we do have and be thankful for it because mm-hmm. we're really lucky in Canada to have some really great resources available to us, food, lack of war, running water, clean water. And I think we need to be to recognize that that is something that we should be grateful for and other places around the world don't quite have that luxury. So practicing gratitude is definitely a good way to both stay mindful and also practice self-care. Thank you for your lesson. Thank you for your time today, Michelle. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we'll dive into my list and then we can share our thoughts on each other's list and dive into each point. I'm going to go, I guess. Yeah. I'm going to go in order from one to five as you all. Usually I go five, four, three, two, one, but this case, let's just keep it um, uniformed. So for my number one, this is something I've learned. So I guess because you you got vulnerable, I'll be vulnerable as well. I was in therapy for four years and I just finished therapy in January. In university, I was diagnosed with uh, mild depression and generalized anxiety disorder. Kind of within time, I guess, didn't go see anyone for it. And then with time, you know, it kind of got worse. And then to the point where it was about four to five years ago, where I started to actually go to the breaking point where I needed to get help. That was like my wake up call. And then they diagnosed me with bipolar one. And I got re-diagnosed with bipolar two. And then I got re-diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So that's what I've been living with. So that's why it took so long. And well, one of the reasons as to why it took so long. And I think it was necessary for me to go through the whole motion and also go through grab every resource that's, again, ties with what your last statement was the gratitude part. 
there are so many things that for myself, I am very fortunate that I got that service, not only for free, but it was there for me to actually like, you know, to be ex- uh, be accessible to for myself, but for even for that long, because I know that people get dropped, people get switched and whatnot. And um, it's, it's quite a hard process. So I was very grateful for that. But one of the lessons that I've learned, which is my first point here, I guess a tool on my tool belt, and you probably heard this term, building mastery. So it could be anything from listening to music, reading a good book, cooking, watching movies. They gave me the sheet that told me a hundred things that you can do. At first, I kind of looked into it. I was like, ah, why do, why would I want to do that? Um, (laughs) That's silly. Right? That's silly. Being very judgmental and then going into it, I, I kind of looked into it. I was like, wow, I, I do poetry now, which is insane. Like okay. I do poetry. I'm doing this podcast. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've, I've picked up hobbies that I didn't think I would pick up, but then I'm also doing things that I've actually enjoyed doing. Mastery in this case doesn't necessarily mean being really good at it, but doing something that you really enjoy and, you know, that's not just a distraction, but also a coping mechanism too, for you to, you know, keep pushing forward and also like bring that joy, bring that satisfaction too, because there are certain points when, like you said, there will be bad days, there will be good days, but for those bad days, you want to have those stacks of things you can do, especially when all we have now in pandemic is time. (laughs) Um, We have time and nowhere to go. So, I mean, there's plenty of things you can do um so yeah just i I would just google what like uh, i guess 100 things you can do um to build mastery or something like that um that's that's what i did um fortunate for me i had a sheet and now i have a good amount of things i can do so um number two um this is also one of your points on your list as well um check in with a friend or a loved one um basically building connection um or just reconnecting i think we are very fortunate that we have the technology and live in a lifetime and generation that we have social media and it's a heights of social media. Um, there's Discord, there's Facebook Messenger, Instagram, Snapchat, Zoom even. We're doing this podcast at Zoom. Like um, you capitalize on that. You use, you use it. You even have a phone, you use it, you text it, you call someone that you haven't connected in a while. Um, also, another layer that I found out too was when you check in on someone, it actually kind of makes you feel good as well. Um, for myself, it makes me feel good because like when I check in on someone and see that they're actually doing okay or knowing that maybe they needed that phone call and I didn't even know that wasn't my intention, that gives you a sense of satisfaction or gratification moving forward and kind of gives you another, you know, another thing that you could look forward to as well when you have nothing else to do. So that's my number two. My number three, this is a whole thematic of everything, I guess, on my list is moderation. But for this case, it's limit social media consumption. It was on your list to, uh, uh, to use social media to do fun things. Um, but for myself, I agree with that to a certain extent. There has to be a caveat there or an asterisk because a lot of people get very consumed by the things that are put out there on social media, especially with everything that's been going on since the pandemic has shut down from Black Lives Matter to, you know, um, Trump to anti-racial to anti-vaxxers, even to the Palestinian thing that we're um, looking at right now as we speak. And yes, for some people, they just scroll through and they just go 
by it, but there are people who are really affected negatively by this. And I feel like if, if you want to share, if you want to read into this, then cool. And if you feel angry about it, then that's cool too. But if it becomes a detriment to your mental health or your emotional state, in my opinion, I would just limit what you do every day on social media. Maybe like have an app time, like on your settings, go on your app timer, do maybe like an hour or two hours. I don't know. Uh, it's really hard even for myself to limit myself from social media, but I try my best, you know, if you take out your time from social media and fill it up with other things, I mean, it, it does make it less of a detriment. Or even if you do use social media a lot, just look at dogs playing around or like just avoid the, the, those type of things. Going with number four here, exercise or physical activity, just like what you had on your list as well. I also am a hypocrite. When it comes to that, even though I have the privilege of having a gym downstairs in my basement, uh, I live in a townhouse, but my housemate brought like uh, the superset home and then uh, my other housemate has like free weights. So we, we got to use that. I mean, if you don't have that, at least go out for a walk for 15 minutes. Yes, there's a stay at home order, but going out 15 minutes somewhere that's secluded, somewhere that's not like, you know, that's not packed that's still healthy for you in a sense, even for five minutes, even if you have a balcony, go out outside, get some fresh air, get some physical activity. Even if you can't, there's this thing that I just learned the Pomodoro effect. I don't know if you heard or the Pomodoro thing. Yeah. So I learned this and it's Pomodoro effect where there's a timer that tells you for every 25 minutes of work, you can either have a five to 15 minute break. So oh, I didn't know what that was called. Okay. Yes. I yeah. Heard that. Yeah, so I've been I actually been recently using that. And um, I have an app too. it actually tells me it'll ring off after 25 minutes, and it'll give me an option to do either five or 15 minute break. So on my five minute break, I'll just walk, I'll just stand, I'll just walk around, you know, do a little stretching, because I know it's, as we get older, it's bad for bad for ergonomics, it's bad for our body. And also, I mean, it's bad for eyes and our mental too, when we're just staying at the screen all day, you know, that's that's the thing. Just stretch out, do a little walk, do a little shake, dance. I don't know. Do do something physical at least. It, again, mental and physical go hand in hand. So number five. This is a hard one. This is why it's number five. Yeah, this I guess this is more theory based and less practical. But if you can do practical, then do it. Accept your emotions and thoughts as it is by face value. Don't be consumed by it. And, and, and I'm not a psychologist or have anything on this, just putting out there just to clarify. But what I've learned was when you feel sad, don't deny it. When you feel angry, don't deny it. It happens. It will come in. I don't know if you, you can disagree. You can agree when we share our thoughts. But I feel like when the pandemic hit, a lot of people, there was a big chunk of their lives that got ripped out. The bigger factor is that social interaction and we're creatures of social interaction so taking that out and also throwing your life like in like just like a curveball in a sense like everything everything that was routine or your habit based was just thrown off the window and then we had all the time in the world and with all the time in the world things stop and when things stop we start thinking and when we start thinking that's where things get a bit we dangerous so when you have a thought that, that the thought part is a bit more harder but the emotions part when you feel sad when you feel angry happy just let it be but don't dwell in it um i know it's easiest said than done but for myself when i'm angry i just let it 
let it be if i'm angry i'm not gonna be apologetic about it there is a time and place for things but i'm not gonna be suppressing it because that's what kind of yeah this is my first lamp f word i'm gonna drop for today but it kind of fucked me up for a long term so suppressing it isn't healthy but if you can just let free flowing if you use all these resources that we gave you or even if it gets to the point where you need help get professional help but when it comes to emotions, I feel like if you sit and dwell with it, it gets very dangerous. So if you can just look at it and just, you know, be like, oh, I feel sad. All right, cool. Um, let me just go go to the fridge and get a, a tub of ice cream, right? Or like listen to a, a song or watch a movie with my friend or connect with a friend or something like that. But yeah, that one's a bit tougher. I don't know. I've, I put it on there just because I kind of want to put it out there. Um, don't know if it's practical or not, but you're you're the expert here. That's why I brought you on. So that's my list. But let's let's uh, share each other's thoughts on each other's list. Do you have anything on my list that you would like to break down or kind of debunk or anything like that? Yeah, sure. First and foremost, I want to say thank you, Tony, for being vulnerable and sharing your experiences and your stories and your I don't want to use the word struggle, but you're what you've had to deal with yeah, with your mental health. So thank you thank so much you. for sharing that. And I love every single point that you said, especially the last one. And the last one is important and also the most difficult. And I yeah. want to also say that I am not like I struggle with mental health and I live with mental health mm-hmm. and I studied psychology, but I'm not a clinical psychologist. So mm. take my words at face value. And my experiences at face value, but with my profession, there are some aspects of mental health involved. So accepting and being okay with those thoughts and having them is okay. And Mm -hmm. accepting them and moving on, it's hard, but it takes practice and it does work in the long run. So I'm really, really glad that you brought that up. The point I want to go back to is your point about social media because mm. I feel the exact same way. I personally, <laughs> it, social media is great in a lot of ways, but I've been trying to limit my social media use because in a lot of times it actually brings up a lot of negative emotions in me. Like yeah. I find it kind of hard not to engage in self-comparison. Like I have been pretty good at following some of the guidelines and the rules about COVID and staying home and staying within my bubble and only seeing like, the essential people and going to work and X, Y, Z. I understand that that's not the reality for everyone and I'm not mad about it and I'm not. But when I see pictures of people getting together in backyards and stuff, when you're not supposed to have people over, I can't help but feel angry and just shut it off. And Twitter, as much as I love it, because I get a lot of my news from it because it's so easy. (laughs) They're just, there's so much hate and so much negativity that sometimes I just have to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And not all social media is bad, but I want to make it clear that maybe mm-hmm. we need to be mindful of how we're using our social media. Like, are mm-hmm. we using it to share information with others? That might be a better use of our time. Are we using it to gather information either about people or topics? That's also good, but we also need to be aware of the sources of information and be wary of you know, fake news. Mm-hmm. And are we using it to connect with others in a meaningful way? Mm. Like it's one thing to just kind of be like, oh yeah, I like this photo. Oh yeah, this one's okay too. Yep. But are we using it to be like, hey, how are you? And doing those check-ins 
like that's really good but I think we just have to be mindful of is my actions on social media serving me in a positive way and if it's Mm -hmm. not limit yourself Mm -hmm. that's not healthy and I agree I think again like everyone knows about the algorithm right so you probably know Eric Shingleton Smith right Yeah, so he was on the COVID vaccine one. And he said, you go down this rabbit hole, right? Of like, um, that's how anti-vaxxers start. You go down this, or, or like anti-maskers and everything. You go down this rabbit hole. You start going, all right, is this real news or is this fake news? And you click on it and you see the comments and then you see posts that are recommended by it. So like, if you're looking at shoes, all you're going to see is shoes. If you look at dogs, all you're going to see are dogs. If you're going to look at like, Politics and stuff like that on your Instagram feed, good luck avoiding that because that's not going to be avoidable. I mean, yes, there are people who are going to be, you can't control everyone's like actions in terms of what they're going to post or what they're going to share, but you can control, in my opinion, you can control what you can do yourself is you can either share what they're sharing, avoid all that, or just, you know, go about your days. And for myself, like, like you said, with the Twitter Personally, for me, I get triggered easily when it comes to Twitter. So that's where I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to have Twitter at all. TikTok, I'm not going to have TikTok at all because I'm, I'm a boomer, apparently. So <laughs> so I'll just keep on Instagram and Facebook for communication purposes. Yeah. And I really like your point on um, how you use it, right? Because not only connecting with people is just, like you said, it's not just a single like or a single comment on someone's post yeah sure it's comments better than like but at the same time if you can really connect out to them and ask them hey can we book a time where we can have a quick chat and catch up i'm sure they can make 30 minutes right and or something like that and and that 30 minutes could turn out to be four hours for all you know because you had a really great conversation i think one thing as well when you message someone or when you even go out and say hey how's it going or how are you people will would say i'm fine or i'm doing okay and i guess with everything that's been going on in our society when you message someone like that you you, your intent is there but it loses it's it loses its effect in terms of what you wanted to do bringing out hey let's catch up. I haven't seen you in a while or haven't talked to you in a while because of the pandemic. Uh, people won't like deny your invitation unless they got something really busy. And if they do, then you schedule something. I'm sure it worked out if they're important to you and, or, and you're important to them. Right. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a really good point you brought out there about the social media um, kind of way of consumption that we're consuming this. <laughs> yeah. So for, for your list, um, the gratitude part, I think that's, that's the one where it really, checks up on me i i was gonna put that as my number five um in the first place like do yoga do practice gratitude gratitude meditation but meditation is one of those things that's so foreign and so hard for people i don't know why but also being gratitude being grateful especially in times like these when or like not even times like these but the times like these are very uh, shows very apparent the very apparent nature of human beings um how when everything becomes bleak, all you see is darkness and you don't see the silver lining or a sliver of hope in there or like the little things that you can be grateful for. Like, like you said, healthcare, clean water, a roof over our heads, 
our clothing on our backs, food on the table. You know, there, there's a lot of people who don't have it, like even the vaccines. Actually, that's a perfect thing. The vaccines are rolling out pretty slowly in Canada. Let's not dive into the politics. But I mean, you know, what I mean, like worldwide, there are countries that are less vaccinated than we are and they have a higher population than us, like India, yeah. for example. Right. So we have to be fortunate that we're getting our first dosage, at least. Um, but that's hard for people to do, even for myself, when things do seem low. But when you're a bit more grateful, you you it, it tends to become a domino effect. Like when you when you become grateful, there's a positive outlook on everything else. But yeah, that, that was a really, really strong point on there. If I had to build my list, I think gratitude would have been higher on my list personally, but I didn't put gratitude on my list. So um, because for myself, I'd be a hypocrite if I had it on there. But yeah, I mean, everything else on your list is great. Um, I think there's a lot of overlapping in our list, like the physical activity. Yeah, the connecting as well. The self-check-ins is a big one. That's actually a question that I have later on the list as well that I would like to ask you that we can dive into. And then the focus on things you can control. Yeah, we're not superheroes. We're not superhuman. Like we're not machines. There's certain things that even machines make mistakes, right? Even superheroes make mistakes. So you, you can only do what you can do um don't think that you could fix the world like i've seen people who who get tired like mentally tired or emotionally tired because they see all these things that's happening in the world and they wish they could fix it or they wish or they i'm definitely that kind of person it shows character like it it, it shows that you're very empathetic and it shows that you're very like you're really good-hearted but at the same time it's like reality is you really can't do all those things right (laughs) put that also in like kind of in reality as well. Like what you said there, focus on things you can control. I think that's as concise as it can get. Um, But yeah, so that's my thoughts on your list. Again, your list is like top notch. I would say like (laughs) everything, everything that we talked about are through our two lists are very like, you know, it could be intertwined, but also like if there was a top 10, your five would be on my 10, like, you know what I mean? And so forth. So but no, thank you for your listen. Thank you for your time today. So moving on, let's go into the question segment. So why did you decide to work where you work or in the field that you're currently in? Yeah, so I, I guess I'll give you a bit of background about, so we knew each other in uh, undergrad. So at yep. Mac, I did my undergrad in psychology, neuroscience and behavior. And after Mac, I went on to study my, my master's degree in psychology um, I did it at the University of Liverpool, and I know that sounds really fancy and like, <laughs> oh, it's like overseas, but I actually did it right from here because I was oh. working full time. Um, it was a an online program, degree program that I could do through, I think it's the Laureate. I don't know what, it's some sort of governing body that allows like that degree to be equivalent here. Oh, okay, okay. So I did it here because I was working full time in applied behavior analysis or mm-hmm. with ABA. And if you're unfamiliar with ABA, to put simply, it's just the science of human behavior. Why do people do what they do? Mm-hmm. And it's most commonly used as the underlying science of treatment for kids with autism spectrum disorder, which I did mm-hmm. work with. But like so many of us in the field of ABA, I kind of stumbled into it kind of accidentally. Like I didn't really have <laughs> purpose of going into this field I knew from a young age I wanted to do something to help others I think that's the empath in me I wanted some sort of helping profession and 
I had volunteered in a hospital because I thought, oh, maybe like I'll be a doctor or something like that. And it wasn't really for me. It wasn't really fulfilling in the way that I kind of thought it might be. But I did my clinical practicum in third year at Mm. Brain Injury Services in Hamilton. And I had to use the principles of applied behavior analysis to teach social skills to an individual. Mm. And it was an older gentleman. He was at a residential home out Niagara Way. And the staff had little faith that his social skills would improve. They're like, you can't fix him. He only talks about the same five things on repeat. He had an acquired brain injury. And so it was a little disheartening to kind of be this bright-eyed third-year student just needing a passing grade (laughs) to move on. What am I going to do? And I was assigned a partner. So we worked Mm. together to try to teach him five new topics. Mm. One of them, I only remember one of the five new topics. And I think one of them was the weather. Like, talk about the weather. What's the weather Mm -hmm. like outside? Mm -hmm. And ask questions about it. And at baseline, he would only talk about other topics probably 18% of the time. So we were like, okay, this is going to (laughs) be really hard. But by the time our practicum ended, he was able to talk about the new topics 88% independently. We had made visual cues for him if he needed reminders to talk about other things, but he Mm. could do it completely independently 88% of the time. And then I did my fourth year thesis at the same residential home on a separate topic a year later, but I saw him and he remembered me and he came up to me and the first questions he asked me was, what's the weather outside? And I swear I started crying. I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do forever. I want to change someone's life in a meaningful way. And in a way that where other people are like, you'll never be able to help. I think that was the push. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something about this. So over the years, I've worked with a variety of populations, applying the science of ABA to adults with dual diagnosis, acquired brain injury, developmental disabilities. And for the last few years, I worked with children, primarily with a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. But as you mentioned, I've switched gears. I'm now working at St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton um, as a behavior therapist in the forensic psychiatry department. So this is something new. I work with a variety of individuals who most commonly are deemed not criminally responsible due to a mental disorder. So typically some sort of crime has been committed and they've been assessed as not criminally responsible and they come to one of the units for rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And that's where I come in and I'm part of a multidisciplinary team and help design programming for those individuals. And I like it because it bridges the gap between my passion for applied behavior analysis, but also mental health. It's all in one place. Mm -hmm. And it's fantastic. I deal with behaviors such as aggression, self-injury, property Mm -hmm. destruction, but I also work on a lot of positive skills such as self-help, social skills, coping skills. Something I want to mention that I think is really interesting being in this position is I have two hats. I have my Michelle hat who understands mental health (laughs) my personal level yeah but the thing about applied behavior analysis is you have to look at things in a in an observable and measurable way so you can only Mm. really change behaviors that you can physically see so we're not discounting thoughts because we know they exist they're referred to as private events in our field but we're looking at what we can see and what we can measure in order to make meaningful change 
So it's hard for me because I know that mental disorders are often thought of inside the brain Mm -hmm. and inside the mind, but I have to kind of look at it from the surface and be like, okay, they're dealing with something in here and they're engaging in behaviors out here. I need to really just focus in on out here rather than in in there because they have psychologists and psychiatrists to kind of tackle those kinds of things. Yeah. But I work with the outside stuff and the environmental variables that contribute to it. So rather than looking at someone with a mental disorder, Mm -hmm. I look at it more of someone with an acquired learning history over time. So how did, how are the behaviors that they're doing now? How has that been reinforced in the past to lead Mm -hmm. them to this point to see why they do what they do? That's an interesting dichotomy (laughs) and predicament that you're, you are in. Yeah, for sure. Like, how do you, how do you separate those two? Right. Like, when you're yeah. automatically just switching gears to thinking what's inside their brain and now you have to resort to the external factors like what affects their behavior on the outside in qualitative form right so um so yeah wow. yeah um <laughs> yeah i mean it, i guess that's where you're currently at right now then in terms of uh, yeah. your journey okay um yeah thank you for sharing your your again like we alluded to like you um not only your personal experiences but that that ties into what's going on with your career path i will say though that story that you told us about the man in the weather that heart gushing moment like that very like right in the fields i have so many stories over the years. right in the air i was like oh man like my heart just sank i was like oh my god i just want to cry like um but yeah that that, that those are the moments i think where it's like yep that's that's where it is that, that's where i'll get the most sense of fulfillment and but yeah so moving on to the next question here um what is the definition of burnout versus depression versus sadness Ooh, it's getting a bit spicy in there don't you think but before we head back and finish the rest of this debate we're going to take a short little break Usually, podcasts would have sponsor ads here. I don't, unfortunately. I just want to take this time here to tell you guys to go get yourself a glass of water, yell at the clouds, or message your friends of the hot takes you've been hearing thus far. Or you can hop onto our IG account at bbshopquintetpodcast and email us at bbshopquintetpodcast at gmail.com for any comments, questions, or any updates or input. Now, we will see you in a few. So there, those are three terms that, especially the burnout, which people don't really hear often. It's the depression versus sadness because sadness is is an emotion. Depression kind of is or kind of isn't. That's where I kind of need you to differentiate with examples maybe also because the word depressing or depressed or depression it's used very vaguely too i've noticed oh that's depressing Mm, what context you're putting behind that right so can you dive into that for us if you don't mind please i sure can i remember i think especially i think when i was first diagnosed and was trying to doing some self-research and stuff like that when I would hear people say things casually, like, oh, that's depressing or depressed, I would get really mad. 
I'm yeah, like, it's you triggering. Don't know what it's like. Yeah. You don't know what it's like. You can't say that. You're not entitled to say that. But yeah. I definitely have a more of a better lens on how I view <laughs> that now. Another thing that really used to piss me off was when people would say that they were starving. I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> you are oh. not starving. Yeah. Um, so for similar reasons, that would, mm. that would just irk me in ways. Um, maybe we'll start with sadness. <laughs> yes. Go whatever order you need to go through. Yeah, I could feel. I could feel like the the emotions. Oh man, it's getting worked up. <laughs> uh, sadness, like you said, is an emotion. It's like a temporary emotional state. Mm-hmm. Whereas depression is a prolonged, I think, state of being. It's like a clinical diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are listening who don't know what the DSM criteria is, but I'm a nerd and looked it up for you today, um, (laughs) clinical depression is a more serious condition and you must have at least five symptoms on the DSM list for at least a period of two weeks, according to the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual used um, in psychiatry. So these symptoms include a depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. Before I go into the list, almost every single one of them, Mm -hmm. I think every single one of them, except for the last one, says nearly every day. Mm. So I won't repeat myself for those. A diminished interest or pleasure in almost all activities for most of the day. Significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or a decrease increase in appetite nearly every day. Insomnia or hypersomnia. Psychomotor agitation, fatigue or loss of energy feelings of worthlessness or inappropriate guilt, diminished ability to think, concentrate, and indecisiveness, and recurrent thoughts of death or suicidal ideations. Mm. So that's like the textbook definition of clinical depression. Yep. And you know, honestly, everyone feels depressed at some point in their life. You can have a temporary state of being where you are depressed and feel those immense feelings of, it's a greater feeling of sadness. It's Mm -hmm. In many ways, I know when I'm personally feeling like more of the depressed side versus the anxious side of me, it's less personally about feeling sad. It's a lot of feeling nothing, which is arguably worse. I hate that feeling. I just feel numb and nothing brings me, makes me happier and nothing makes me sadder in that moment. I just feel nothing. It's a horrible feeling. I do not wish it upon anyone. But it's just, it's so hard to describe that, I think, to someone. And every, like you said, everyone experiences things differently. Mm-hmm. So how I may experience it may be different than how other people feel it. Yeah, we have things in, in life that we might feel depressed. And I know even in the DSM, they talk about how grief, like a bereavement is different because you have feelings of depression after someone you love passes away. My dad passed away six years ago and like I'm still dealing with that grief and the grief that I feel towards that loss, I feel is different in many ways to the depressed state of being that I've experienced. While they look very similar, they also kind of feel very different. I can identify and pinpoint what is making me feel certain ways. And I think if you haven't received the level of treatment, I think that I have, um, that might not be as easy to piece apart. I kind of look at things, especially being a behavior analyst in like a a behavior analytic way, like, well, how am I feeling? 
what kind of was going on before and what was going on after to make me feel this way. But I think looking at depression and burnout, that's something I personally find a difficulty distinguishing because I think with depression, it's definitely more serious. It's like a clinical, clinical, clinical diagnosis. And in depression, so the negative thoughts and feelings um, aren't just about, say, work or the specific area that you're burnt out in, but things such as low self-esteem, the hopelessness and the suicidal tendencies are not typical symptoms of burnout. People with burnout don't always have depression, but burnout may increase the risk of getting clinical depression. Mm. I think like burnout is a state of exhaustion. Yeah. Um, kind of, if you look at the definition, it's both mentally and physically caused by prolonged stress. Mm-hmm. And I think when we think of it, we think of it more of like a job setting, but people can be burnt out in so many other ways. If you're caring for children, I think that's something, a t- conversation topic that's been becoming more normalized that you can be burnt out as someone who's raising children. Being a caregiver to a relative, that's a big one. Or even just a caregiver in general to someone. Yeah. These can all induce burnout. The signs of burnout are slightly different, but like the exhaustion, not having much energy, being tired, unable to cope. Some people feel physical symptoms such as mm. pain, gastrointestinal problems, headaches, change in sleep or appetite. People will start to be more cynical about their working conditions. So they might be burnt out. They may feel numb about the work they're doing or just be more irritable towards others. Or on the opposite hand, you might just isolate yourself from others. But that also does look similar in depression. Yeah. And people feeling burnt out may not be able to do tasks around the house at work. And they may find it hard to focus and be negative about tasks. In terms of thinking of examples for this, I think sometimes I find it challenging to piece them apart. But I've experienced burnout in a variety of different contexts. I think more recently, probably like a work setting, like my previous job, I loved it. But I was also kind of burnt out from it. I wasn't feeling good. I loved the work I was doing, but I was tired. I had a lot of the physical symptoms. Hmm. I was kind of cynical and (laughs) I isolated myself and I was irritable and I felt all of these things that I described that I found off the internet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yep. 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 Like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) I think another way that you can differentiate it from depression is if you make changes specific to the thing that is burning you out and you feel an improvement and it's not Mm. a pervasive thing over a two week period, then you're like, okay, Bingo. There it is. Yeah, there it is. So yeah, like here I am in a new job and the burnout symptoms that I was feeling before, like I'm not feeling that there's new challenges, of course, and a new setting to get used to and the work Mm. is hard and it's fulfilling, but I can pinpoint that the feelings I was feeling were not so much the mild depression creeping in. It was attributed to burnout. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for differentiating that for me. Um, I just think that, especially with COVID, like with pandemic, I think that's where a lot of people get that depression, the sadness or the burnout, and they don't know what terms to be using. Burnout, I've heard more so in health, the healthcare or like the frontline workers um, in that industry. Um, But yeah, I I love the way you differentiate that um, for sure. So thank you. Next question for you is, 
what do you think people are, this is a follow-up. So why, why do you think people are feeling this way? Like what's the biggest factors um, in terms of feeling the way they feel the, uh, what we were talking about, the burnout, the depression, the sadness. I mean, I think you might have covered some of it already, especially with the burnout portion, but especially specifically with, specifically with lock, the lockdown in general, um, just, you know, the province opening up or the country opening up, then it's closing down, then it's opening back up again, like vaccines and all that sort of stuff. Like um, what, what are the factors that you think um, are affecting people the way they feel? I think the pandemic has been such a huge life stressor and it's been, like I mentioned, like it hasn't happened before Mm -hmm. in quite this magnitude across the world. And it's really challenged the way that we typically cope. Like Mm -hmm. if we look at COVID initially, there was a lot of uncertainty and fear and anxiety about, Oh, how quickly can it spread? Like, am I going to die by going outside of the house? And with, something that's a huge life stressor like that it can also like rehash up some of those previous traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. which may amplify how we feel and everyone has experienced different things over the pandemic some have been sick themselves some have lost loved ones or Mm -hmm. um, to COVID or other causes which is like a whole other layer of not being able to go through the natural grief process because you can't have closure the same way in those like in that context some people have lost jobs. Some people have had to work from home. Some people live alone. Some people mm-hmm. live with others. Some have been following the rules and others have been pushing limits. And I think initially we just thought, oh, this is going to end soon. Like we're just yeah. going to do these things. We have a checklist of things we need to do. If we all do these things, it's going to be done and we can carry on life as normal. Mm-hmm. And here we are a year later and it's been a prolonged period of putting on my behavior analyst hat, not accessing preferred items, activities, and people. We've been told we can't go see our, our see people outside of our immediate households. We can't go to non-essential stores. We can't do things that we've found previously reinforcing, like going to the gym or traveling or getting giving someone a hug, like yeah. those kinds of things. We've seen the spread and the effects on people We've been socially distanced and we're not accessing immediate reinforcement for our actions. Hmm. Like, I think people have been feeling like, like I'm doing all these things and nothing's happening. What's the point? And so that like, we feel ultimately burnt out from that. Like we're stuck in this prolonged period of stress. Like I mentioned is the definition of burnout and we're frustrated. And, but then on the other hand, we have so many people who have had someone contract COVID and Mm. pass away or loved ones on ventilators who have recovered or not and have worked the front line. And those people are even more frustrated because they're like, you guys need to do this piece thing so that we reduce this. And there's this back and forth between the two groups. And I think that can be really disheartening as well. I've been working in a hospital for all of two months and I have so much respect for the nurses and the frontline members who've done it. But just a couple of weeks ago, I was told that I needed to get some training in or in case I needed to be on the floor doing not what a nurse, what a nurse does, but yeah. essentially doing what a nurse does, but without some of the medical aspects of it in the case that there's an emergency that they need to send and redeploy all these nurses to the ICUs mm-hmm. because they're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Like I've been here for five minutes and I don't have any experience. 
in a hospital setting yeah. outside of giving people warm blankets when I volunteered. And I think that was something that was, that made me feel stressed and burnt out and depressed all at once because I was like, why aren't you people staying home? Like, I'm not a nurse. I can't do this for everyone. And I've been feeling that for five minutes while healthcare professionals and other frontline workers have been experiencing this for over a year. Like, yeah. That's the reality. It's been a long, long period of time. And I think something that doesn't help is the media. Like you said, limiting the media is a great idea. And I agree because there's so much conflicting information out there. Like people are trying to seek out things that kind of match their values and match their views in order to kind of feel better about the situation. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, people who may think that the vaccine is bad because of, I don't know, I've heard conspiracy theories, like I'm big on conspiracy theories. Microchips, (laughs) the mercury. Yeah. Like the devil's mark is in it. Like I know. there's some like religious backing onto that. And those things that previously bring us comfort, like religion that makes us feel Mm. safe. And like, I don't want to make this a religious or political debate, but some of those things are tied into the information on the media. And it's Mm. just a way to kind of suck you into feeling all of these different feelings about Mm. your views. And sometimes you just need to find comfort in things that match what you're thinking. Yeah. And that's hard. So definitely, I think, like, take breaks, like you said, from the news and social media, take care of your body, and develop some sort of routine. And don't be afraid to seek professional help if you're feeling burnt out. Hmm. Or depressed. Perfect. Thank you. Um, So actually, that that that's perfect. That actually answers the next question. So we'll move on to the next question after that. So again, like you said, the, the, you know, the fear, the angst, the hate and all that stuff like that. Is there any other tips that you can give to people to lower their frequencies of, you know, the emotions or the thoughts of anxiety, caution and fear, um, you know, that, that leads to all this hate because that, that's the deep rooted, you know, uh, anger is the secondary emotion to fear. So anything that you can say out there uh, besides from what you just beautifully alluded and described right there um, listed out there for us um, that can lower the frequency of this or just improve, I guess, the quality of life for people in general. When I was trying to like, think about this question, I feel like the answer is (laughs) complicated Yeah, because on one hand, I find that, being more educated to like looking at what is the source of information um like where is this really coming from Mm -hmm. is really important and educating yourself on different things especially when things are being shared so freely on social media Mm -hmm. like there have been so many stories of injustices prejudice racism and it's so sad and horrifying to hear what people have had to endure over time Mm-hmm. during the pandemic and otherwise, because there's a lot of historical stuff that's been yep. come in present stuff that's been coming up. And it's a great learning opportunity now to take the time and educate yourself and like learn about these experiences. And if it feels overwhelming, take breaks from that. But also I think we need to practice being a society that strays from ignorance mm-hmm. and values educating ourselves about issues we may not understand. 
and in this time, like the risk of illness is linked to so many different social determinants, such as income, housing, yeah. education, systemic racism, access to healthcare. Like there is some crazy statistics that in communities where 25% or more of the population was considered a visible minority, the mortality yeah. rate was 34.5 in 100,000 compared to only 12.7% in communities where less than 10% of the population is a visible minority. Like there's an issue here. <laughs> That's staggering. Yeah. Wow. Horrible. But it's also hard because you it's important to educate yourself, but it also perpetuates those feelings of anger and hate and anxiety and fear of what's to happen. So in terms of how we limit that, again, I want to say that I don't think we should be ignorant to these issues, but I yeah. think it's also important to not get caught up in that and like do what you can and yeah. focus on the things, like I said in my top five, that you can control. Mm-hmm. Like if you do so much as sharing a post to your Instagram story that you found was helpful and you call it a day and you don't want to look at that information for the rest of the night. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, again, like going back to a point I made earlier, they're like, I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate, but you kind of called yourself out as well to be included in that group. But, you know, the people who they wish they can do everything and fix everything in this world. So we don't have all these problems because they're just lining up just like a like, like a lineup to a concert, right? Like, <laughs> that's ironic. I use that example because there's no <laughs> concerts in this time. But, you know, what I mean, um, just as an analogy, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we're not uh, social heroes of justice. You know what I mean? Like, we we try our best. We do the most we can. And sadly, there are people who aren't sympathetic to that point. Like, we can do what we can. We can post when we can. People who don't have the money to buy a book to get educated or to go donate. Sadly, that's not their reality. It might be for you, but it's not for them. Or like, they might not have access to technology, right? So they'll go out to the library and read a book, or they'll go to a protest when they're here. And some people can't don't even go to the protest because it's COVID. <laughs> you know what COVID. I mean? Like, simply, simply said. But you know what, like that, that's, I think, you make a really good point there. I think everyone do what you can, you know, you can only control what you can control. And that's it you got to put yourself first sometimes like you're without your mental health and your physical and emotional health you can't do anything after that you got to take care of yourself first yeah. and I, I like the answer you've given because it, it's not a cookie cutter example yeah. uh, answer right and it's yeah. very situational it's very subjective but it's really up to you on how you want to really use that or i guess like limit yourself in terms of how much you want to help and how much you don't want to hope that will be in a nice delicate balance for yourself. And that's something you have to figure out yourself, I believe. All right. So my next question to you is, I know we were talking about like ways of, you know, alleviating stress or, you know, having just a better quality of life. One thing here, I guess we'll switch the order of the questions because it's a perfect segue. One thing here is that social media, for example, the way we use it, right? can be a coping mechanism. Now, everything, especially on my list, when I had limit social media, it was one of those things where it could be a coping mechanism, but it can also be a detriment as well. It's a double-edged sword, right? 
But let's stray away from the dangerous coping mechanisms. We don't need to dive into that. But there are some that could seem to be dangerous when it's consumed more than it should, um, or you used it more than you should have been. So what's your thoughts on certain coping mechanisms I'm going to throw out to you here? And you could just like, I guess, like what just toss out some like pros and cons that could go on with this. It doesn't have to be factual. It could be all opinion based, just, just based on you. So first off, shopping therapy. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely guilty of engaging in shopping therapy, but particularly I think around the time when I was first diagnosed with panic disorder and it was during undergrad. So like that was a whole, <laughs> that was a whole other thing. Yeah. Like I picked up the coping mechanism as a primary way of like dealing with life. And mm-hmm. I think it was multifaceted because like I grew up in, in a household where we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So like mm-hmm. I was in a sp- in a place where I was at the age where I was making money and I was away from mm-hmm. home. And I was dealing with all of these life changes. And you know how easy it is to just add something to your cart and just keep going. And then when things are on sale, like 50 to 70% off, like I am such a sale and discount hunter. Like I can be coupon, like put me on extreme couponing. Like I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) It was such a slippery slope. And I think like since then, I have developed better habits and, you know, I need to remind myself that I need to prioritize money towards other things that are more important and, you know, my future and I paid for school and those sorts of things. But I think it's just so easy for people to just, especially in a time during the pandemic where we can't go out to shop and online shopping is our main way of doing that. And even with things such as supporting small businesses, and I'm all for supporting small businesses, Mm -hmm. like, if my friend is an Etsy shop, like you better believe I'm going to favorite their shop and follow along and see if I can buy anything to support them. But with that also comes, it's just so easy and you're spending all this money and you're not really dealing with issues head on. So I think if you're preoccupied and notice that you're preoccupied with buying unnecessary things and develop financial difficulties as a result of that, like that's where you need to start looking at what is what is really going on and like what might seem like a big huge dopamine filled outlet is now becoming more of a compulsive disorder so I think there's nothing wrong with doing things like online shopping and you know making yourself feel good and engaging in self-care by shopping online every once in a while but if it becomes more than that and the red flags are going up it might require more help that's a really good point the COVID really really, really served out another one for us, you know, because I mean, the the most spending I think I've seen people do is either shop, shop, and shop, or maybe fix their houses. I mean, that that's basically <laughs> it, like, or like buy a house and sell a house, right. But besides that, like no one really is going anywhere or doing anything Nothing like money would do. be. Yeah, there's nothing to do. Like usually our pie chart, you know, would be broken down to, okay, we're going to a concert. The whole summers are filled up with like concerts, events, going to like restaurants, going to even year round, going to restaurants and concerts too, going to sporting events, going to movie theaters, going to travel. As simple as going to work. People aren't driving to work like as much as they were before. So you're saving money on gas and transportation. That money can go elsewhere. Yep. Yep. 
And um, I mean, that's, that's another thing I was going to dive into as well, which was like, we don't have to dive into this because it's pretty apparent how it could be a bad coping mechanism, but yeah. alcohol, right? Like yeah. alcohol is also shopping therapy too. It satisfies that, but also, I mean, that's already down slope. Like I, I, even including myself, like I've noticed myself when it was the first, I guess last year with the first year of COVID, it was just more so like, all right, the first half is. Oh yeah. yeah. I was making a different quarantine every day for <laughs> like a month straight. <laughs> it was insane. And then I'm like, this is unhealthy. Like, I can't yeah. sustain this. But it was also fun because you're like, oh, well, look, if I can't go out and work because I was off work at the time, like I'll just stay home and teach myself how to like make fancy drinks and stuff for when we do get to go together. And but I think that's the intent. If you have yeah. the intent behind it and you have the context behind it, then that's different, right? But if you're yeah. just drinking just because you need to fill in time or you're fucking miserable, then I mean, you gotta, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a joke, all jokes aside, you gotta, you gotta check up on that, right? So, yeah. but yeah, shopping therapy is one I'm guilty of also. I actually just bought two things today, which I shouldn't, <laughs> but the sale was way too, like, I'm just like you, the sale was way too good to pass on. But you know, so, it's like, you kind of go through this thing where it's like, do I really need it or do I want it? And also would it make me feel good? Like, is it worth it at the end of the day? Is it something yeah. that's a temporary fix or is it something that's going to be a long-term fix? Right. Or is it going to result in me going to the next day or next time when I'm flipping through my phone or flipping through the sites and seeing those ads popping up and be like, Ooh, that was good. Nice. How much is this? <laughs> hmm, let me let me just let me just think on that for a second did you say free shipping sign me up <laughs> like that's another thing too the free shipping when covid first first happened sport check nike like all these like lululemon all these stores were like dashing out free shipping regardless of the amount you were purchasing so everyone was like all right i guess on, uh yeah i guess yeah on, on the shopping note i know it's not as much the online side. And I know this might be a controversial topic, but one aspect of COVID that I kind of hope doesn't go away is the curbside pickup option. Like if I don't have to go in a store and deal with busy people and have them bring it to my car, I'd be perfectly okay with that. I'll Mm. pay the like $3 for them to put it in my trunk. Mm. If it means that if I'm having like, especially if I'm having an off day, like a bad day, but I need groceries, I need to eat. Like, it's kind of nice to kind of have that outlet of like, I don't have to be around people. I can just sit in my car and have them bring it out to me and not have to be, you know, put on a mask and be like, how are you today? How are things going? And just be that, you know, the bubbly side of me that does exist. And but sometimes on my bad days, it's hard to bring that person out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. Um, <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's a really good point. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on to the next one here that I would like your thoughts on. Yoga and meditation. Um, now, we touched upon this before with the gratitude meditation, right? That's a big one. That's, I guess, becoming a fad or a trend now, per se. But it's been more, you know, mental health has been popping up more. And we could dive into that later in another question I have for you. With yoga meditation, I know, like, for some people in my previous podcast, earlier podcast, how to keep fit during COVID, one of the thoughts, I guess, or doubts that was brought up was, I have... One of the guests was, uh, he said, I might be diagnosed with ADD, even for regular people. Meditation is hard for people to sit through. What people think is we're just sit there in bare silence 
for an hour or two hours and just do nothing. Now, I want you to kind of give me your thoughts on that and the perception of what society or the general public thinks of it and kind of, I guess, debunk it if there is any debunking that you need to do. And maybe some advice and tips that you can give out for people who want to get into meditation, but don't know where to start. I have to say, I love meditation and it's so great for so many reasons. And I'm glad that it's becoming more of a thing that people are doing because it doesn't have to be, I think when people think of meditation, they just think of like the five minutes at the end of yoga where you're just quiet and laying on the floor. And I forget the pose, Shavasana, one of those. But meditation doesn't have to just be that. Like I personally, I like the guided meditations because of that reason. I, I can be still with my thoughts and I've over time practiced ways of doing that through meditation, but I prefer the guided stuff where they talk and they have peaceful music and they tell you to focus mm-hmm. your attention on different things. Cause I think that helps bring me into the present moment. And I've actually used it for sleep, like for mm-hmm. myself a period of time where I wasn't able to sleep very well. There are so many great apps out there too nowadays that make it so accessible. The two that I use the most are probably Calm and Insight Timer. Okay. Insight Timer has so many options. They're both free. Calm has a paid version which features more. And if you're in the education industry, they have a separate thing where you can submit an email address or something and say that you work for a school. Okay. to get more um, access to that as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. But Insight Timer is also fantastic. And they have ones that is just like silence. And then they do the thing where they ring a bell. They gong, have those yeah. options. Yeah. Gong, yeah. <laughs> gong. And they also have some guided ones with music, some guided ones without music. But other great options are Headspace and 10% Happier. And oh. 10% Happier was actually the one that got me into meditation. It was started by, I think his name was Dan Harris. He was he's like a news anchor for one of the big US things. And he has panic disorder as well and some sort of oh. anxiety disorder. And okay. he was kind of on the lines of like, oh yeah, like that's not real. Like, people don't have anxiety attacks yeah and then he started having them and he had one on I think on air and wow from there he devoted a portion of his life to coming up with this app and he has Mm -hmm. some great books so 10% happier is also good for yoga I love yoga and I hate yoga I have a love-hate relationship with it if anyone wants to do yoga and doesn't know where to start I love sending people to watch yoga with Adrian on YouTube her videos are free. She has like these monthly calendars that make you feel like you're going to do them every day. Even if you don't, like, I know I always start <laughs> off by doing like, yeah, like a full week. Yeah. And then I drop off to like two or three days a week. Yeah. But she has like ones that are 10 minutes and then some as long as over an hour. So if you want to find somewhere to start, like I start with like the 10 minute neck stretches and then work my way up. Mm. Yoga is a great way to connect the body to the mind. And it's also something that's been popping up more prominently as like a coping mechanism as well. Something that I'd like to share, because I don't think I've ever heard it before, mm-hmm. is like, I would have periods of doing yoga, and I'd have to stop because like, parts of my body would just either be really sore or aggravated. And there have even been times where I just stop and start crying. And I don't know why. And I didn't understand. And through therapy, I discovered that that's actually a trauma response. So that part of the body is linked to there was some great books. I still don't even fully understand it myself. 
<laughs> but it was linked to some sort of trauma response. Mm -hmm. And so when I would do certain positions in yoga, like it would evoke those emotions and those feelings that were so deep inside that I, in my subconscious, that I, they didn't even know were there. Mm -hmm. If you ever feel that way during yoga and you're not sure what's going on, it might mm -hmm. be some sort of underlying thing and that's okay. Before I let you off, make sure you check out the Barbershop Quintet podcast on all streaming platforms. Give us a like, give us a five-star review on Apple Pod, and follow us at BB Shop Quintet Podcast on IG if you want to be involved as a guest on our panel or have any topics you'd like to discuss about. Hit us up on our IG account or email us at bbshopquintetpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your fresh inputs and ideas for this pod. Let's be your top five of the day. Well, that's that's interesting. And that's the first I've ever actually heard of that. That's insane. Yeah. Okay, next one for you. I guess the last one for you on this is, I guess we already talked about the social media, but let's go through the other tangent here or the other strain here, um, media. So more specifically, like binge watching. Okay, queen of binge watching. I watched like 16 seasons of Grey's Anatomy in like a week. Like, <laughs> Am I just I like nailing you on like every single thing that you're doing right now? <laughs> Exposing? I so attacked. Um, I saw this like meme about people who watch the same series, like binge watch the same series on Netflix, probably have an anxiety disorder. And I felt, I've never felt more seen. I'm like, yep, that's me. I've watched The Office 20 million times. Like I can't think of what to watch. And people have recommended all these other great things. I'm going to watch The Office for the 50 millionth time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so easy. And I've, I've been trying to make an effort to watch new shows and mm -hmm. also not spend as much time watching endless hours of TV. But in mm -hmm. a pandemic, mm. it, there's not one, there's not much else to do. Yeah. But now that the weather's getting nicer, I'm going to try and force myself to be outside. It's also so easy to fall into the same patterns about like, especially if we're busy all day, if for those of us who are working during the day, it's nice to come home and do nothing and just put on like mindless TV, yes. whether that's something you've seen over and over again. Um, it's a source of comfort in a lot yeah. of ways. Mm -hmm. So I think it's okay to engage in those things if we need to. But I think we also need to remind ourselves of what we value and what we're passionate about and try to do actions that align with those things. So something that was on my New Year's resolution, and I'm going to say that loosely because I made these up throughout the year. Yeah, New Year's resolution is <laughs> a bullcrap thing. It never really works. So I've been trying to pick up like old hobbies I used to do. Like I used oh. to do art all the time. Like that was actually a coping mechanism I did as a kid when I was going through some feelings of anxiety that I didn't know were anxiety at the time. But yeah, like I started drawing again I've started painting again I've been trying to do that a little bit more instead of binging tv shows I was studying for my board exam for what felt like forever so now that I don't have that anymore I'm like what do I do with all this time yeah binge watch series probably but I've yeah. also <laughs> been trying to like read I love reading mm. but sometimes I like just want to just do nothing I don't want to yeah. have to think I don't want to engage in like really mentally stimulating activity I just want to relax and that's yeah. also okay so I think yeah just it's okay to binge watch series but also you know do other things 
there's more yeah. to life. Yeah, it's moderation, right? And the, moderation. The that's the key word, moderation. No, and <laughs> also the intent behind it too, right? Like if you're, yeah. if if your purpose something. of it, yeah, avoiding or like even like escapism, right? Like yeah. the sense of escaping and not facing the real facts of reality. That that's a bit problematic, you know. Like there there is a nice time where you could just like tune out social media and go watch something else. That's that's okay if you're gonna do that, sure. But like if you're like trying to avoid the fact that this is actually going on in your life like maybe not sorry great. maybe not great the the your life isn't revolving around pam and jim you know what i mean like now going back to your meditation thing there's this concept i guess we we kind of hinted on it but we didn't really dive into it as much um the concept of being mindful or being present um can you explain to us what like the definition behind that is or in your perspective and do you have an exercise that we can do live on the spot or any tips that you can point out to the people at home who are listening that they can help themselves when they're in a moment of angst or even just to relax and just break away from things for a bit and just to regroup? Yeah, absolutely. I think mindfulness is another thing that's been a little more prominent in mm-hmm. social media and stuff, especially in therapies. Different types of therapies use a lot of mindfulness techniques. And I think like defining mindfulness, the definition is kind of in the word. It's your mind is fully attending to what is happening in the present moment. So where you are, what you're doing, not being overwhelmed by what is happening. And anyone can be mindful and it really does take practice. And it's so easy to just kind of like I'm, I have an anxiety disorder. Rumination is one of the things that I do best. So being mindful really helps cut down any of the unnecessary stress or interrupts any negative thought patterns. Meditation is a great way to practice mindfulness, but there's also some really short and easy ways to do it. And I have a couple that people can do in different areas and places. Deep breathing sounds so cliche, but it's so effective. You can do the six, six kind of interval where you breathe in for six seconds, hold it briefly and then out for six seconds and just repeat that. Somewhere that's I think it's kind of fun to be mindful is when you're eating. And oh. it sounds really silly when you first hear it. Yeah. But when you're eating, sometimes we just eat and we like, yeah, the food tastes good. And we're just eating to like rush off to binge watch a series. So <laughs> sometimes it's good to really take a moment and like think about the bite you just took. Like, what did it feel like? What did it taste like? How many times did you chew this piece? Like focusing on the little sensations that it also makes you appreciate your meal a little bit better and also helps you stay in that present moment and not, I know sometimes I think about what am I going to buy for groceries as I'm eating my dinner and I'm thinking of 500 other things, but really just kind of honing in on the present moment and it allows for some stillness in the busyness. Mm -hmm. Um, When driving, I don't have like road rage, but I'm sure others (laughs) argue differently. (laughs) Driving is a good place to be mindful, take deep breaths, look around without being distracted, take a short glimpse of other people, see what they're doing in their cars. Are they singing to themselves obnoxiously like I probably am? Do they look like they've had a bad day at work and just kind of look grumpy? Are they calm? And then use that moment to kind of check in with yourself really quickly and be like, how am I feeling in this moment? Did I have a good day? And which driver that you saw can you relate with more? Hmm. 
body scans are really good. And this is one that they usually do for the sleep ones that I've been doing. Mm -hmm. So start with, you can close your eyes or keep your eyes open. I like to close my eyes. You can do it sitting upright in a chair. It's a great one to do if you are doing like doing the, is it the Pomodoro effect? Pomodoro effect. Yep. Yeah. If you're taking that five minute break, just do a quick body scan, sit up in your chair, take a couple deep breaths, close your eyes, and then use just start with your feet and then work your way up to your head very slowly. Like notice your feet. How does it feel? Is it feeling really heavy? Is there a lot of pressure? Is there vibration? Do you feel heat? And you start with your feet and you work your way up to your knees and your stomach area and just all the way up to your head and then open your eyes and it's done before you know it. And I have one more that's really easy and something that I use, especially when I'm anxious, but you don't necessarily have to do it when you're anxious, is the 54321 grounding exercise. And yes. there's a lot of variations to this, but I really like this one because at first I thought this one definitely sounded silly to me. I'm like, yeah. this isn't going to work. This is yeah. stupid. <laughs> I feel that. Um, the variation I'll just say is like the easiest one to do. It's mm-hmm. the five things you see around you four things you touch around you, three things you hear, two things you smell, and one thing you taste. For when I'm in a more heightened state of anxiety, I do five things per sense and then work my way to four things per sense and one thing per sense. But if you just want something quick and easy, just five, four, three, two, one, and work your way through the senses. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate all the examples you just gave us and exercises you just gave us. And and especially when like very practical things like driving or like just sitting around during the Pomodoro effect or like taking a quick break, right? Or even eating. Eating is something that we go through the motions, like you say, but we really never sit down and actually think about how we're eating or how it tastes or what the amount of time or effort we put in or even the memories that comes from it or, you know, everything else that surrounds it. On the other scale, you gave us a really good example of the grounding exercise, which is something actually they taught me as well. And I thought it was silly as well. Look for that one. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I hate it. It was like, why? Why do I have to do this? This is so childish. I'm not going to do this. Yeah, of course I can see these things. I have a psych degree. I do not need someone to tell me what I see. (laughs) Exactly, right? Um, But no, like it was very good for like when you're in that heightened emotional state. And that's something when you clarified I really appreciate that. And that that needed to be clarified because this one in particular needs a bit more time. You mm-hmm. the, and and for, for yourself, when you said some sometimes you'd have to go through five, 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 four, 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 four. The common variation is not that, but you altered it to match up to the heightened level of whatever heights your emotions were, right? And that's that's a really fair point because sometimes you need to take more time. Sometimes you need to take less time, but it definitely does the same. Like it gives you the same effect and it just brings you back to center, back to a more what they call as wise mind. Right. And yeah. you, you heard that term, Murray. So for people at home, wise mind is the balance of emotional and I guess, logical mind. Yeah. What I was about to say? Yeah. When you were going through the body scan or the PMR progressive muscle relaxation technique there. When you said sit in your chair and you could just scan through your body and also like do the five, four, three, two, one exercise, two things. You need to make an app because your voice is very calming. And secondly, I think, I don't believe you have road rage. 
because how does someone with a calming voice like that have road rage? Like, it doesn't make sense. But at the same time, the people who you think that might question you and say you have road rage, just tell them to listen to this, of course, just so I can get views. But also tell them to just skip the minute, skip, skip the this session to this session. You don't need to listen to it. No, I'm kidding. But no, in honesty, those are really good exercises. And I uh, think they're very practical for multi-use. So um, just in any situation, heightened or non-heightened, it's something um, being just being mindful is a very, really unique concept and a very positive one, less so a negative one. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for um, giving us all those goodness out there. So I hope it helps. <laughs> yeah, I hope it helps the listeners at home as well, because uh, I'm for sure I used two of them. So I'll definitely do the eating one. That, that's a really good one. That's a really that one's good. hard, but it's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes like my habit is I'll watch and eat something. So like, I'll I'll, like have YouTube on now. I want when I watch food, when when there's like Bon Appetit or like Try Guys doing food or Uncle Roger. You watch food videos while you eat? Yes, that's why. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, And I don't know why those are the only videos I watch. I'm like, Oh, but this my food tastes actually better. I'm guilty of that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a habit. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, wow. Like, all right. but sometimes yeah, it does feel different and strange when you don't do that and you just sit there and eat. Yeah. Like it's, it's so bland, but at the same time, if you add that level of mindfulness, which I will definitely be doing or trying at least once to see how it is, gives another outlook or perspective for sure. So, um, but thank you for those examples. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I appreciate it for sure, but I'm pretty sure the listeners at home will appreciate it as well. So moving on to the next question here. This is a more deeper one for sure. Not, not like the other questions weren't already deep already, but as of recent, people have opened up accepting mental health as a social norm and reality, right? Um, that people actually live with this type of things from, you know, with people documenting it on a saying they go through this, they go through that, right? Or like on their media the social media or like just like in general just people going with it that like living with it that we know or even ourselves so with that what's your thoughts on the changes in our society in regards to that and how like it shifted from being very stigmatized to something now it's like more socially um i guess accepted and then moving forward what's your prediction on where mental health will be perceived as in our society that's such a great question and as someone who's opened up about my own mental health, it makes me really happy to see others opening up and sharing their stories as well. I know that I was terrified the first time that I ever shared any sort of post about my own struggles and mm-hmm. just opening up that vulnerability and is really terrifying. But yeah. um, I had so many people reach out to me and just say things like, thank you for saying things that I couldn't. So if you share your stories, with someone, then you might do the same for some other person. And it's such a great domino effect. And if any of the listeners are like one of the people who has shared their stories or their struggles before, like need to commend you on your bravery and your strength and know that your story might help others and may mean a lot to someone else. And I think we do need to keep the communication like going and see more of that cultural shift, especially so we can get therapy and treatment options more accessible through funding agencies and government policy. And I would love to say that in the next 10 years, we'd be able to see more destigmatization of mental illness in society. And, but we need to remember that we're combating generations of people not disclosing this information because of so many different things like fear of institutionalization, 
violence, being shunned, being seen as weak, and so many other reasons. And some of those still exist today, maybe not in our society, but in other societies around the world. Many people here still view aspects of mental illness negatively. And like, I think one of the things that I found hard to kind of deal with first looking at stigma is taking medication for a mental illness. Mm. Like that's looked upon so wrong. That's yeah, so yeah. wrong, but you're taking care of like your mind is an organ and you're taking care of yourself, but somehow that's not the same thing as taking insulin for diabetes. Yeah. Like their physical and mental illnesses are viewed sometimes very differently. And I'm glad that the communication lines are opening about having more acceptance about those mm. aspects. But and I don't want to sound like a downer, but yeah. <laughs> while I think many aspects of mental illness are being more commonly discussed, such as anxiety, depression, ADHD, those kinds of things, I think pieces that we could improve upon are illnesses mm. such as schizophrenia. That's mm. a very heavily stigmatized mental uh, health condition because of how deviant the presentation appears. Like you go downtown Toronto and see like, I don't want to pick on homeless people, but I'm just going to use this example, yep. like a homeless person speaking to themselves and you walk by and you're like, oh, that's funny or that's silly or that's scary, any of those emotions. But really, you're inadvertently stigmatizing that person who may have more of a mental health disorder, such as schizophrenia. And I think working in the mental health forensic system particularly has helped me appreciate that a little bit more because schizophrenia is probably one of the highest prevalent diagnoses in the population I work with now. Mm. And it presents in so many different ways. And I don't know if it's because we're accepting more of maybe things we don't see, like we can see someone like, if you were to meet me on the street, or you meet me at school, and you saw me, you might not know that I have a mental disorder, or that I'm suffering in some sort of mental health way. Yeah. And if I disclose that to you, you're like, oh, that's okay. But if you see me talking to myself, and then I tell you I have schizophrenia, like I'm not as sure that society view me the same way. Yeah, you're not credible. The person who's like, yeah. Yeah. So I think we have a lot of work to do, but Mm -hmm. I think we're doing a really good job so far. And I think it needs to go beyond the Bell Let's Talk days. Like I love that campaign. I think that's fantastic. But one day a year is not enough. The Canadian Mental Health Association has a really good acronym for recognizing attitudes and actions that support stigma. And I feel like this is worth sharing because then you can kind of ask yourself these questions if you hear something or say something that you're not sure if it's stigmatizing others. So the acronym is STOP, really easy to remember. S stands for stereotypes. So is whatever you're hearing a stereotype of people with mental health conditions? Are they all the same rather than looking at them from individuals? Because like you said, things like anxiety, depression, all of the different things affect people really differently. People can be presenting in very different ways. So it's kind of unfair to group everyone together. T stands for trivializing or belittling people with mental health conditions and or the condition itself. Are you looking down upon someone because they have some sort of disorder? always for offending someone are you offending the person with the mental health condition by insulting them Mm. whether you mean to or not i need to say that because sometimes people say things and you're like oh that actually is offensive p 
therapies patronizes people with mental health conditions by treating them as if they were not as good as other people. So we need to be aware of those four things when we say things. And something I think we can also improve on, hopefully in the future, is in the workplace. And I know a lot of workplaces are really supporting the mental health of their employees. It's so great. And unfortunately, it's not really the case. Like, I think they try and make it look all rainbows and flowers like we have all these supports in place and like I'm so lucky that I work in a place that has excellent mental health supports and I've worked for other places that have excellent mental health supports but for many other workplaces they don't want their employees to even talk about mental health because it can appear as a reflection on them as an organization rather than supporting their their employees they're like nope this looks badly on us or the mental health supports that they do have and offer look good on paper, but then they're facilitating environments that are leading to people feeling things like being burnt out. And it's kind of this vicious cycle that we're working in. So like you can have all these great things, but then if you're working 80 hour weeks and not having time to access those resources, yeah. it's such a double-edged sword. Hmm. So I think we have great things in place, but we also have a lot of work to do. You bring up a really good point on the workplace. It's like, for me to compare, it's like how people hire based on diversity to meet their diversity quota, you know? And it's it's just there for the, ex, uh, the external um, aesthetics, right? It's just there. Yeah. It's so it's building good PR. At the end of the day, it, 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 they really do the bare minimum in most cases. I'm not saying all companies do that or all organizations or workplaces do does that but you know it's, it's a generalized statement but yeah people it, it's a fair statement too because most most workplaces or organizations are making an effort or they should be making an effort you know the one thing i think i want to ask you is on your workplace point because that brought up a really i guess a thought that came up onto my mind that i i've uh, actually thought about and read across too there's an Instagram channel called Hard Feelings Toronto. And one of the IG videos was um, the lady was talking about in your benefits when you go to work and when you made the, the comparison or the, the breakdown of how the contrast or I guess the contrast, the sad contrast of how we stigmatize medication and how that is perceived as it's wrong to take medication for your mind, but why can't we treat it like it was a physical ailment? So my question to you is, how do you, how do you think people should avoid through the benefits if it doesn't cover a therapist or someone who's a psychiatrist or someone like that? It's very gray. I don't know if you have, would have the answer to this because this is a follow-up question that wasn't on the list. Really, it was a very well-provoking thought in terms of like, okay, that, that is very prevalent. Like you, you have all these benefits, but you don't know. Some people don't even use, know how to use it. Some people don't even know that it's there for them to use like the rehab, the physiotherapy, just physical stuff. Right. But then some people just don't know if it's included or if it's, or they know that's not included in their benefits. So what, how do people, how do you think people should combat that or work around that? That's such a great point. And up until now, and I am still a me beginning stages of my current job. So I don't overly know what benefits I have, but I've had to pay out of pocket for therapy up until this point. Yeah. And accessing resources is really challenging. And I bought into a, like 
other kind of name agencies, but other things that you can buy into like insurance and benefit packages. Okay. So that have certain coverage and something that, like you said, that they kind of skim on is psychological services, or it has to be specifically going to a psychologist Mm -hmm. and not that there's anything wrong with that. I think psychologists have go through all this work and clinical training for a reason, but Mm -hmm. like there are other professions that can help that are cheaper and more affordable because if you have in a benefit package, something that's like, I don't know, 80, $80 a month for like 10 months of the year, I think Mm -hmm. is one of the numbers that kind of sticks out from something I've seen previously. Mm -hmm. That doesn't buy you a lot. A lot of the psychologists charge more than that and you still have to pay like a portion of on top of your benefits to cover psychological support and while I recommend that people do what's best for them whether that's a psychiatrist psychologist there are also psychotherapists and licensed psychotherapists that are also clinically trained in their own ways and a resource that I find really helpful and how I found my psychologist or my psychotherapist is on uh, psychologytoday.com. So you can actually sort by what issues you want to talk about and they can filter them based on the therapist's specialty. They also have ones listed in your geographic area, which is really great. Mm -hmm. And also one thing, if, if you want to put money towards therapy, but you don't want to have it be a financial burden to you, is look for the word sliding scale. So anyone who offers a sliding scale, that's a really good person to go to because Mm -hmm. then you can pay on the lower end of the scale if that fits your needs and your financial constraints. So I think, yeah, it's really challenging to access those services because usually there's like a one line in your benefits package that talks about what you can access. And some of them do include psychotherapists. Some of them don't, and they Mm -hmm. just limit you to psychology. But again, those things are very, they're not exactly financial financially feasible in the long run. And that's why I wanted to bring it up, right? Because this is like a podcast that's around like our age group specifically, and maybe even older or younger too, who are looking to get a job, but it's something that we don't really look into when we get our, you know, when people say you get this salary, you got this amount of vacation days off or sick paid, sick days, paid, uh, paid leave days. And then, you know, there's some organizations or corporations give you a uh, wellness days for for example but then there and then your benefits what's in those benefits that again like those are just stuff that we just brush it away like we're like okay the pay's good whatever right but then when yeah. it comes down look to at it, it again yeah but when it comes down to it when you really need it and it's not there for you that's when it's like well fuck like what do i yeah. do you know And there are a lot of great free resources, especially during the pandemic. I know the Canadian Psychological Association, who I've volunteered with in the past, they have on their website a resource for looking for a psychologist who may be offering free sessions during the pandemic. So that might be a great resource as well. And I know that some family doctors refer to local psychotherapists who offer at a very either discounted rate. I know that I grew up in Paris. So the Brant community healthcare system has their own in-house kind of therapist. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that, that is 
free for five sessions, I believe, if your family doctor is a part of that system. Mm. And I'm not sure if that exists in other regions, but that might be something worth looking into if you really want some free resources. For this question specifically, what happens when someone says they don't want help, but you can see that they need it? Hey, y'all. As you heard, sadly, I do not have sponsors, but I do have very amazingly talented friends and apps that I like to share and shamelessly plug in here. The stunning and sleek hand-drawn and hand-painted logo that you've seen, go check my friend Ashley at her IG account at ashley.bydesign. That's A-S-H-E-L-Y dot B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N for your creative and artsy needs. And now for a banger of an intro and outro, check out my musically talented mastermind friend, Dylan, at his IG account at by Dylan. That's at B-Y-D-I-L-L-E-N. For all of your music production and beats, two apps y'all need to try out, Canva, where I have created some of my social media content and promo from, and GroupPad. For the sick West Coast transitions you heard before this plug and right before we get back to the program. Now, go check them out and we'll be right back. I don't want to use this as like in the context of an intervention per se, but more so of a like, there's a change in this person's life. I can definitely see there's something different. I know that people for myself, when, when I was going through this, people reached out to me even though I didn't want it. Um, so what do you do in that case when you can see someone on the brink of doing something or on the brink of changing or there has been a change that has occurred and you could feel it and you can see it and it's apparent, but you want to help them, but they don't want it. I feel like when I read this question, when you sent it to me, I really struggled with this because mm-hmm. you mentioned the word intervention. And whenever I see those on TV and portrayed in like movies and TV shows, yeah. I get so upset. And maybe that's because of my personal experience and that much social stimulation in a room, not meaning to attack someone, but kind of bring up their concerns. It's so overwhelming. I feel yeah. like and if I were that person in that moment, I put myself in their shoes. I lose my shit, <laughs> but it <laughs> really bluntly. Yeah. I also want to really emphasize that if you see a friend or a loved one who is in danger or at imminent risk, you need to seek help immediately, even if they don't want it. Like if you think that there's any chance that is leading to suicidal ideations, call an appropriate helpline or 911 if needed. I unfortunately have had to do that on a couple occasions for friends who mm maybe didn't need my help, but have thanked me later. And you don't want someone to lose their life because they're like, I don't want you to do that, but I'm going to down this bottle of pills. You don't want to regret not helping in the extreme cases. Yeah. Dialing it back a bit. I know everyone is different and deals with things differently. And um, I think it goes without saying, but I like, there's not really a blanket statement to support someone in those moments. And I know I, I have varying degrees of like when I want someone to talk to me about what's bothering me and when I don't. Mm. And I've only recently kind of been better at identifying that to someone being like, I don't want to talk about this right now. This is a spot that really triggers me. I'll talk about it later. 
people might not want help for so many different reasons. They might be struggling with the idea of even needing help and trying to figure that out on their own. They're trying to deal with things by themselves. And I know when I was first diagnosed and it was making sense to me because of all the other things that I experienced previously, at the same time, I didn't want people to treat me differently. I didn't want them to be like, if they weren't already going to be the type of people to check in with me and be really overbearing, I didn't want that to change. Yeah. But I also know that as a friend in that position and you're trying to support, you feel really helpless. Like you feel you're seeing this person change before your eyes and you want to do everything you can to make them know that they're loved and know that they're supported and trying to figure out how to do that. And it might be really hard to have them push you away when you just want what's best for them. And I think it's important not to put additional pressure. And I know that sometimes that's tricky because everyone feels things differently But sometimes that can have the opposite effect of what you intended and might actually lead to them not even seeking help at all. I've seen that in a couple of cases with people and that's kind of scary. I think some of the better things to do is don't make them feel isolated because they may already have feelings of perceived isolation because they might be feeling things. I know I felt this like they don't know what I'm going through. I just would rather be left alone. But then in the back of my mind, having someone be like, well, if you're ready to talk, I'm here. I think that's really important. So making yourself be available and show your support as best as you can and as kind of delicately as you can. Yeah. If they do give you an inch and reach out at all, offer suggestions and help. Maybe look into local resources if you think that there's something going on and you do some research about what might help, that's helpful. But I think also from the friend's perspective, like set boundaries. Because it can be very overwhelming to take all of that on personally and emotionally. It can be difficult to be the beacon of support because sometimes you are that person that that person only goes to. Mm -hmm. But you need to ultimately put yourself first, put on your oxygen mask first, I guess, before your own, like the airplanes say. And you also might need to talk to someone about how you're feeling and what the situation is and get an outside perspective. You might need to set limits because it's not realistic for you to be available to someone at every possible moment that that person needs help. And I know that as me, who wants to fix the world, (laughs) that's been something that's hard, but also necessary. Like setting limits and boundaries are so important for your mental health, your personal mental health. So doing that is really important. You really put it out there for all the perspectives, you know, like that intervention is such a dangerous word because you feel you feel attacked, you feel ostracized, you feel ridiculed. And on top of that, like that just adds to the feel of being more isolated. And like you said, the best thing you can do is either to give the resources out to them to be there for emotional support when they need it, because you don't really know what they're going through. And sometimes these people, even including myself, everyone, right? we don't even know what we're going through ourselves half the time. So how do you expect, like, how do I expect you to understand what I'm feeling when I don't know? Right. So, so that time, that space. And also I think like, as, as weird as it is that this podcast is being created right now, this is again, just, that's why I had to emphasize clearly um, on the beginning of the episode stating that this is not something, this is not professional help at all this is just some tools some tips and perspectives as to uh, within this conversation but you make a really strong point where i feel like we're not all psychologists 
And even if they're psychologists, I feel like even psychologists can't handle that when it's someone who is really close to them or even just like carrying one, a person's, you know, basically whatever they're dealing with. Right. And I think the one thing where it's a bit of a tug of war in a sense, it's a very conflicted sort of area when it comes to seeking the help you want and wanting it, but not wanting it. You know, it's kind of like that middle ground, like, oh, I want it, but I don't want it. It, it, There's, there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of thoughts that's conflicted in that area when it comes to the person who's actually going through it and who wants or who doesn't want the help. But yeah, this is, it's, I guess it's very subjective when it comes to someone who from the outside, but those are very good tips or like ways of tackling that situation for sure. I think one thing is just to be sympathetic. Um, yeah. Instead of being empathetic, because being empathetic, again, like we talked about really early in the podcast, like if you were, since you went through a panic disorder, and if I was going through panic disorder, that doesn't mean that's the same cookie cutter solution, or we're not going in the same experience, but we're going through something similar, or I can only imagine, I can't imagine what you're going through, sort of statements, you know what I mean? And definitely, I think just being, us, especially you and I um, on this episode and commending all the people who displayed out there or who opened up to not even the world, even to like their closest confidants or their close ones or loved ones. That, that takes a lot of courage, but that's also a step into changing this. You know what I mean? There are people who might not need the help, but then when they need the help, that you might be a person they go to because you open up about yourself and they know that you're a person who is dealing with something similar and they feel comfortable reaching out to you because you didn't suppress them or you didn't ostracize them or you didn't go up to them. You were just there. I am more likely to talk about my mental health struggles with Mm -hmm. people who also struggle with mental health. And I know everyone struggles with their mental health in one way, shape or form, but like I have like a set of like people I can count on my hand. Yep. Who in that moment, if I'm feeling anxious or like something is extreme, like I text them because I know that even though they don't understand what I'm feeling, they would know most closely what I'm going through rather than like I have my other group of friends, like my social group of friends who are understanding and sympathetic and they listen to me when I need to rant and other things. But when I'm in like a deep, dark mood kind of thing, like I I am more likely to turn to people who kind of know what that feels like. And I think another word of caution with that that I've learned over the years is sometimes you turn to those people who have similar experiences, but then you end up feeding off of each other. And I think it's important to identify that that's kind of dangerous and a slippery slippery slope because you're amplifying each other's, you know, negative symptoms that are happening. And so that's also something to be cognizant of. That's, That's a very fair point. Okay, so moving on to the last question here. I guess this ties into the last the previous question I asked, but if you were a friend or a loved one and seen someone affected by the pandemic or just something off emotionally or, me- or mentally, and they actually disclose to you that they need help, what do you do in terms of being a support network for them? And I know you said being a resort, like handing out resources, because we weren't come on, like we're not professionals here. Like we don't, yeah. we can't feed them all this energy or like self-diagnosing is one of the worst things you can really do out there. How do we support this person who's reaching out to us that needs help and wants to help? 
That's a great question. And I think one of the best things you can do is really just listen without judgment. Mm. Like sometimes we just want to talk to someone without having that person turn around and have that conversation and make it all about them. Mm. I think that's something that we're really guilty of because we want to like share in each other's experiences and stuff and be like, I can relate to you in this way and I'm going to help you this way. But it's okay to share statements that sympathize, I think, with the other person that are brief and relate to what they're saying because they're being vulnerable with you. They're disclosing this to you. But don't minimize their thoughts and feelings by imposing all of your own views and thoughts and stuff like that. I think it's really easy to do. But yeah, listen without judgment. And like you said, be sympathetic and point them in the direction that they need to go in if you can. Otherwise, just be there and listen. It's so easy. I feel like it's such a simple solution, but it's so meaningful. I've learned over the years. And also, I think what you said to be aware and cognizant of if there is any signs of self-harm and suicidal intent to actually, if they're, if you're being a support network and they go down that road, that's when the professional helper, like calling 911 or whatever mental health resource that's local that you can call immediately. Definitely. Um, Something that just popped into my mind that I know we've talked about like the self-harm aspect, but also like the violence on the other end. I think mm-hmm. something that's been kind of talked about very lately during the pandemic is rates of domestic abuse and stuff like that. So noticing things like that. And if you have any suspicions, like being there as a support system and a safe place for your friends. Again, resources will be pinned on the Instagram feed. Um, and also Instagram stories as well for everyone to get support they need and also the professional help to the best of the resources, but um, to the best extent, sorry, but educate yourself as much as you can. If you can't go to someone who actually, you know, is professionally able to, because like I said, you shouldn't be self-diagnosing, but it's good to educate yourself on these things. There's a fine medium. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that wraps up the whole podcast in entirety. Now, before we go into the buzz cut lightning round here, can you please recap your list of the top five things that people can do for self-care for their mental health during this pandemic or even afterwards or anytime uh, in their lives? Absolutely. So I'm going to start from five to one this time and mix <laughs> up since we're at the end. Right. Uh, number five, practice gratitude. Number four, do some sort of physical activity, even if for just 15 minutes a day. Number three, try to connect with others socially in creative, fun, and meaningful ways, even if just virtually. Number two, focus on things that you can control. And number one, do self-check-ins physically, emotionally, and mentally. Listen to your body and absolutely be kind to yourself. Thank you very much for your time and your list today, Michelle. Really love your perspective. My top five, five, four, three, two, one also. So number five, again, this is take it with a grain of salt. This is very hard to do, but again, it comes with practice. Accept your emotions and thoughts as it is face value. Don't be consumed by them. Um, Number four, exercise or just physical activity. Even go outside for a quick walk or on the balcony or around the block. Number three, limit social media consumption. Or you can filter what you're looking or going through. Number two, check in with a friend or a loved one, or even just build connections in general. And number one, listen to music, read a good book, just do something you enjoy doing with moderation, of course. That's what we call building mastery. So so that wraps up our list and our podcast for today. 
let's go into the buzz cut lightning round now for michelle this is your first time on the I'm show so and also pardon i'm so nervous don't be nervous don't be nervous i mean i reiterate um the rules but again the catch there is no catch for you it's kind of null and void because you're the only person here so you'll get the default w but I'm just going through the motions. I'm just going to refresh our listeners' memories as well and also give you uh, kind of the breakdown of the rules as we go forward with this. All right, so for the buzz cut laying around, basically you'll have to quickly formulate a convincing buy and an argument on top five lists or topic my choosing. Again, you get the default win, so bribery <laughs> does not relate to you at all, so don't worry about that. I mean, you could send me a gift. That'd be nice, but um, you know, answers can be as unique or original as you want it to be. No need to be logical or illogical here. Based on those arguments, I, the decider, will pick which answer will resonate with me the most. However, the only catch is that each guest has a total of 50 seconds for their argument. Go over the time where they can't finish the argument. They'll get penalized points, and I may give the oppositional guest the advantage. So with that being said, today's topic that i given to my guests today for the buzz cut line round is, as I kind of allude to earlier that you know there are people who want the help and there are people who don't want the help but we don't really know that until they tell us right and there are people who fully document this in their lives but what about famous people people that are celebrities people who are historical figures people who are big leaders political leaders or and so forth you know etc just people who have a an impact or a big name in this world. Let's say, hypothetically, you can have an interview panel because you're a behavioral analyst, right? You like to research. So let's just say <laughs> you have an interview panel with three people. Have either documented or have stated or it's known that they've, they've suffered through something, right? Yeah, three people that have influenced you, dead or alive. Yeah, who would you like to interview? Um, so I am going to bring up the timer here. And I know the timer doesn't have anything to do with it. Just go <laughs> along with the gimmick. Michelle, do you have your buzz cut lightning answer for me? I have it. I'm ready. Okay. Your buzz cut lightning round starts in three, two. Okay. So first off, I have Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia herself. She has set the tone for advocating for mental health and she has overcome so much and still had a magnificent career. I would just love to pick her brain about what she went through and what she did to cope and so many other things. Princess Diana, like I'm a royal follower, but not like hardcore. I would love to know more about like what she went through and her life and up until her death, ultimately. And my third one is Beethoven, the composer. I recently discovered that I don't know how accurate this is, that he had a bipolar disorder and he found that it helped give him the creative power for his compositions. Mm -hmm. And I would just love, because I play the piano. So I would love to know like how his brain worked under all of those different emotional states. I feel like that'd be really interesting. And I know you said three, but honorable mention, I feel like it goes without saying, but Robin Williams. Yes. Yes. Did I beat the timer? No, you did not. No! Um, (laughs) Except the honorable mentions, you went over 10 seconds. Oh, no! (laughs) But that's okay, because I wanted to hear your whole answer, and you got the default win anyways. Who cares? Yes! Um, (laughs) Yeah, that Beethoven one was really really interesting. When I read that, it was like... 
That's so cool. But that makes a lot of sense, though. His music uh-huh. is very, like, Woo, emotional. All like, over the place. Yeah, like, for at least, like, even, like, some, I don't know, some of his biggest, like, compositions are so, like, you could feel, like, the, the heightened and the lower and, like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, like, like you said, all over symphony, the place. He did it. It took him 12 years to finish the Eighth Symphony, and he was completely wow. deaf on top of having That's bipolar insane. disorder. Like, I... I can't wrap my head around it. It's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, rest in peace to everyone on that list, of course. Yes, I'm, I know. I, I didn't choose any alive people for this. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, but let's just say if you had to choose someone alive, who would you toss on there? Um. Oh, man. I feel like someone like Demi Lovato has been really open. Yes. Um, and even Selena Gomez, I feel like they've had different varying degrees of uh, mental health conditions and needs over the years. Yep. And growing up in the spotlight from such a young age would have yeah. so many different developmental effects that I would find yeah. interesting and want to talk about. Yeah, Carrie Fisher, Robin Williams, Princess Di, and yeah, I mean, Beethoven, that's that's a very solid list. And I would <laughs> I would definitely like to know, especially how, what her thought process was when she was getting assassinated when yeah. Princess Di, right? So um that, that must have been scary. But anyways, that's a great panel. Hopefully you have a time machine like the DeLorean. Just go back in time with it back and just see. <laughs> yeah, that would be a dream come true, right? So, But anyways, thank you for your time today. It was a great conversation. Thank you for being vulnerable, opening up things that you probably didn't want to open up or didn't need to open up. But I really appreciate it. I think the listeners would appreciate it too, especially since you're opening up to me. That's someone I kind of knew, but I didn't really know the extent of it. But also opening up to the listeners out there who listen to this that don't know. And you're opening up to strangers. So I commend you for doing that. I commend you for opening up and sharing your struggles, per se, and sharing your overcoming, your bound, like your overcoming boundaries. And also making that and turning that into your life and finding a sense of fulfillment into that. That is something admirable. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for your time and thank you for being on here to debunk on all of this. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate you sharing your story with me. And it honestly felt really, really comfortable for me to share it with you as well and as well to the listeners. And if by chance there is someone listening that needs someone to talk to but doesn't know where to turn or they don't know where to go or need some resources. I know you'll be pinning a few of those too, but feel free to find me on social media in some way, shape or form. My name is Michelle Guzman Ratko. Feel free to send me a message and reach out. I'm very Mm. open to that. And if you are on social media and would like to look at cute dog pictures, my dog (laughs) has an Instagram account. It's at the best of Briggs. (laughs) So tune into that as well. You beat me to the punch. I was going to ask you where they can find you. And you took the words from my mouth. I mean, I thought it was just going to be a pure. I thought it was. No, you just listened. You you told me that you listened to my podcast. And I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. But for you to even have that and just beat me to the punch, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. For our listeners at home, if you enjoyed this podcast or have some thoughts on our list or want to submit your own topics and you want us to list and debate about, feel free to follow us and hit us up at our IG account at BB Shop Quintet Podcast or email us at BB Shop Quintet Podcast at gmail.com. Also, if you can give us a follow, a five-star review on Apple Pod and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms and let's be your top five of the day. Cheers. 
also for the listeners at home please just love yourself and get some self-care after listening to this episode because it is a very hefty one i would say yeah very deep